Give us some men who know the truth. And who will declare the truth. And who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards. And who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I'm serious. adjust your radio dials not that anybody's listening to us on a radio dial but <laughs> do they still do that like a football that's old game? fashioned <laughs> oh i know but do they still do that for football games like remember that was a thing where like you listen to the radio broadcast of a football game and be like and they've received the kick and now the offense is moving left to right on your radio dial you know <laughs> so you could kind of put it in your brain who was going what direction you yeah. know not that that matters so I don't know if that helps for this conversation. It probably doesn't, so I'm just going to stop. But no, you Our are. Our younger audience yeah. will just be like, look like a dog tuning into something. Exactly. Like, huh? There you go. What? I used to have a German Shepherd that we used to joke that his radar would get crossed. <laughs> he would actually fall asleep, and he'd be sitting there dead asleep with his ears up because your German Shepherd's ears are permanently up, uh -huh. and his ears would be facing you. 
as the computer's making weird noises. And if you got up to walk out of the room, he wouldn't get up, he wouldn't open his eyes, but he would turn his ears in the direction you were walking. Oh, that's cool. I'm like, I'm being tracked by the dog's radar. What is this? Uh-huh. And, he would, and you, if you would leave the room, and like, he'd turn his ear until you left the room, and then he'd just like come back to where you were. And then if somebody else got up, he'd turn that ear. Did you then, name him Radar? No, no, <laughs> his name Rommel, actually. Rommel? <laughs> yes, I have this thing that if you ever get a dog, I, I like to know like what's the ethnicity the, behind the, the breed of the dog, and I like to give him a name for that. Mm-hmm. That's why my St. Bernard, which is uh, from the Swiss Alps, they are French-Swiss, mm-hmm. so his name is French. That's why he's Andre. He's got to have a French name. Makes total sense. My there brother got a brand new dog, and he, he's a well, we're Italian, and he wanted to name him something Italian. And there you go. He's fighting with, he's fighting with his family about it because they want to name him something silly, and he's I want I want the name to mean something. So I, I, I looked it up and sent him a couple links to Italian dog names, and he's like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I don't know what he wound up naming him, but yeah, that's how it works. That's that. Those are my rules, and and the other rule that I have is dogs never get people names. So you like you don't name the dog Bob. Oh. <laughs> it's a dog. It gets a dog name, not a people name. There's rules here. So anyway. Okay. If all of you have dogs with people names, I don't think you're a bad person. I just think you named your dog wrong. <laughs> it is what it is. So anyway, now that we've done all this, you are fully aware that I'm over here and Lou is over there. Hey there. So I'm on the uh, the left side of your phone and Lou's on the right side of your phone. Oh, that's really going to twist him. Isn't it though? Yes. But, but if you're looking at it, that's, what, that's where we are, right? Now you're twisting me. See? Yep. Now you're confused. Yep, yep. <laughs> I am Kung Fu. <laughs> so anyway, we are here to tell you that the world is still watching. Which, if you don't know where I'm getting that from, that is the phrase du jour from the Southern Baptist Convention of about two years ago. Oh, It's one of those, it, it became the second most dangerous phrase in the English language that year. You know what I've always said the most dangerous phrase in the English language is, is something must be done. Because anytime something must be done, stupidity is about to abound. <laughs> because when something must be done, typically anything will do. And you end up making It'll be all... a rush. Yes, because we've got to do something. Yes. Well, that's what they kept doing at the convention a few years ago. They kept saying, the world is watching us. So what? Yeah. So what? Yeah. So, so let's get it right, not You would think that, but no, 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 we have to do something because the world is watching and they can't see us doing nothing. So, uh, anyway. So with that said... We're not supposed to be part of the world anyway, right? You would think that. And you would think that the nation's largest Protestant denomination would get that concept. You would be wrong. Oh, man. That happens to me a lot. You're not as think as we smart we are. (laughs) Whoa, that that was a good one. So, as I can't stop coughing suddenly. So, convention season is upon us. I will be off to Nolens in a couple of weeks to cast votes on behalf of the congregation to whatever insanity they're going to bring forth, and there's going to be some. So I have a handful of things that kind of correlate to some of the issues going on in the convention. I thought it'd be worthwhile because we have people in the church who want to know and people in general who want to know, and of course, I don't know if we're your trusted source for news and information. I don't know if that says something good or bad about you or us, for that matter. I don't know. I don't either. I'm, I'm genuinely confused, so. That's another one of those is what it is, so. This one is from Lifeway Research. We're just diving right in because it's worthwhile. There'll be something really good to argue about in a few minutes, so that'll be fun. 
Now, the Southern Baptist Convention has something called the Annual Church Profile. It's the ACP. I fill one out every year for us. It's basically you telling the convention all of the demographics about you. How many people you've had, you know, how many baptisms you did, how many people left, how many people joined, how much money you took in, how much money you gave, all that good stuff. Now, what's fascinating is they, co they collate all that information from what used to be like 47,000 Southern Baptist affiliated churches, and then they pump out there are X number of you know, Southern Baptists. Okay. And the number used to be pushing 16 million. Now, the problem with that number was always that we had 16 million Southern Baptists members. But on a given Sunday, we had about 6 million in attendance. Yeah, that's that's a huge Which is not good. difference. That's yeah. not good. Well, everybody is losing their minds because those numbers are now down over the last few years. So the current total membership of the Southern Baptist Convention is 13,223,122. So does that mean there's 3 million? Um, actually, let Dealing me Dealing with the numbers that we did the last time is like 10 million. Um, I had that. Now that you ask me that and I don't have it now. Oh, where did it go? I've lost it. Um, ooh, a uh, 2.3 million were part of in-person Sunday school classes. Okay. I had it highlighted, and my highlight went away. I hate it when that happens. Oh, man. But you aren't far off. The last time I saw it, it was. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 3.4 million. In attendance, yeah. In attendance. So let me see if I can do a find on this page. Wow. What does that really say about it? I mean, these numbers are just... I wonder if they're contributing... Financially, and that's why they're being counted. Or three point eight. I was just 3. off. 8. I finally found it. So there you go. Three point eight million individuals attended a Southern Baptist congregation on an average weekend, which was a five percent increase from three point six million of the previous year. So yeah, three point eight million show up out of thirteen point two million on the membership rolls. Now, in fairness, it's not unusual. Like you could take us as an example. So we average somewhere in the mid to upper fifties attendance. But if all of our people showed up on a Sunday that are, you know, here regularly, we would have like 70. Mm -hmm. So if you extrapolate that out, the average church can at least expect, what, a 10 to 15% fluctuation? So if you got 55 people in worship every Sunday, odds are you don't have the same 55 people every single week. Right. I guess that's the way it goes because people travel and— Yeah, so it is what it is. Yeah. So let's shrink that number. So if you had 38 in attendance— the expectation would probably be that if everybody showed up, you'd probably have what? 45 or 50? Yeah, that sounds reasonable. So if you had 3.8 million and you extrapolate those numbers out, then you could expect what? Four and a half to five million, right? So at best, you know, best case scenario, we got five million people in attendance in Southern Baptist churches out of 13.2 million members. That's funny. That sounds better, but I'm not sure it sounds good. <laughs> That's what we're dealing with now. Those numbers are a decline. They are still significant. Yeah, for sure. Those numbers produce a ton of ministries, an absolute metric ton of ministries. So let me see if I can find the number over here. Again, I had this marked out and all my markings went away. So um, in 2022, which is the year these numbers are for, which, by the way, that would be July, July 1st, 2021 through June 30th of 2022. That's the fiscal year for the SBC. June 30th, okay. So that would be, that would that be what these close. numbers are for. Yeah. So uh, let's see. In 2022, undesignated receipts totaled more than $9.9 .9 billion. So what that means, 
an undesignated receipt. That's way, it's about halfway down the bottom. I know you're looking at this too. Yeah, yeah. Undesignated receipts are the total amount of money that Southern Baptist churches received in offerings for the year. So the 13.2 million members with 3.8 million in attendance produced $9.9 billion in offerings. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, the average church gives somewhere in the neighborhood of around 4% of that money to the cooperative program. So since 9.9 .9 is really, really close to 10, does anybody have a problem if I round that up to 10? No. Just under 4% then of $9.9 .9 billion would be just under, what, a few hundred million dollars? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. When you consider that the special offerings um, almost take in more than that, you're dealing with a convention that is passing. About, special offerings are things like um, the Lighting Moon Christmas Offering, which bypasses the cooperative program and goes straight to the International Mission Board. The Annie Armstrong Easter Offering bypasses the cooperative program and goes straight to the North American Mission Board. When you take that number to be around $400 million, and then you add Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong, you're talking about a convention that is operating with a budget of almost a billion dollars. That's amazing. <laughs> said that twice now. That is amazing. That's Those just astounding. Big, those are big numbers. This is why, even if you're not a Southern Baptist, you should care what goes on. Right. Because these churches are throwing around a metric ton of money. Now, with all of that said, there are problems. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Now, issues that are carryovers from previous conventions. Things like the abuse... Um, ta there's a, was it the R-I-T-F, A-R-I-T-F, so the Abuse, Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force. So a few years ago, if anybody follows popular media, there was a story in the Houston Chronicle, which is, I think at this point, the third or fourth largest newspaper in the country. It might be the third largest newspaper in the country. After it's like the New York Times, the they Los Angeles Times, they do. Yeah. They, yeah, and I can't ever read any of their articles because they put them on their websites and they're behind a paywall. If you donate a dollar a month, you know you can read all of our articles. No, mm -hmm. I'll wait for somebody to give me a synopsis of it somewhere else. Right, I am that cheap. Anyway, I, I want to say the New York Times is the largest newspaper in the country, and like the L.A. Times might be second, and then there's the Houston Chronicle. It's it's a massive newspaper. So they did a big story where they found. Um, excuse me, 700 uh, members of clergy, deacons, and things like that who had been connected to Southern Baptist churches who had been gained, engaged in some sort of sexual abuse over the last 20 years. Now, I'm one of those people that gets yelled at because I say the quiet part out loud that nobody likes to hear. Over 20 years, in a denomination that's averaging about 4 million people showing up on a Sunday morning, you found 700 people. That's actually not bad. Right. It's right. actually about a third of the abuse rate that you would find in the public school system. Which, by the way, if for the, all of you going, oh yeah, what about the Catholics? Well, as much as I like to pick on the Catholics for their sex abuse scandal as well, the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal was actually a lower percentage per capita than school teachers. Your kid's more likely to be sexually assaulted by a school teacher than they are a Catholic priest or a Baptist minister. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's some numbers they don't tell you about. Right. And, and, and nobody looks at school. I've never heard that. No. Yeah. 
And nobody looks at schools and goes, den of iniquity, where they're just abusing the kids left, right, and center. We all make altar boy jokes. Right, exactly. It, but they should be making elementary school and middle school and high school jokes. Which lately, have you noticed that also? It's always like 20-something-year-old women sleeping with their students. Something is broken in this country. But anyway. So because they were freaking out about that and because something must be done, mm-hmm. we have a task force because that's what we do in Baptist Church. We appoint a committee for everything. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what color to paint the curtains. That's good you, committee. You form together. a committee. Yeah. You don't know what to serve for lunch. You, you form a committee and they'll study the issue and report back. That's how this works. So we formed a committee and they made recommendations. And the recommendations that are going to be presented this year are going to be on the implementation of a database. Okay. Insert eye roll here. Because I made the eye roll, but I know you can't hear the eye roll. <laughs> now, the database is fascinating because this is one of the things we've been arguing about. This You're going to love this one. Okay. <laughs> they want to include the following groups of people in the database. Okay? So this would be a database that any church, any person could go access to make sure that the person you want to hire as a pastor or uh, promote to deacon or anything like that is not an abuser from the past at some point or another. Okay. So, so yeah. So okay. it's kind of it's kind of like the um the neighborhood checklist they give you for the registered sex offenders but for churches. Okay. If you've ever been convicted of sexual assault or anything like that, you so should go it's on a the database list. that church because sometimes churches will do background checks and they should and they'll and keep we track do background of that. checks. We have background checks that we keep up to date and all of that stuff. So this would be like an extra step beyond the background check. Okay. And here's why they wanted it. They wanted it to include these this group of people. Mm-hmm. Anybody who'd been convicted of sexual assault or abuse or anything like that. That's one of those no brainers. So that would show up on a background check. Absolutely. Now the people that wouldn't show up on a background check would be if you had ever confessed but had not been convicted in a non-privileged setting. So like if you confess to your lawyer, your lawyer can't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's a privileged setting. But if you confess to like a detective, that's not privileged. Right, right. He that. can tell everybody, and if the, if the cops are like, hey, hey, we couldn't get a conviction because there wasn't enough evidence, but he told me he did it, we could put you on the list. Mm-hmm. That's a little slippery, but I get it. Um, the third safe than sorry when it comes to that On that one. Yeah. The third one was if you had had a civil judgment rendered against you. So you hadn't been convicted in a court for criminal liability, but you had been found liable civilly. Okay. So like a fine. What they got Trump on with the whole Stormy Daniels thing. Okay. You, you got to pay money type of deal. Make mm-hmm. sense? Yep. And now, none of those I have a major problem with. I'm like you. I'm, like There's some evidence on some things, especially with the confessions. The fourth one was anyone who had been deemed credibly accused by an approved third-party investigation. Well... Now, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you will when you hear this. The criteria. Who's the third party, though? Eh, it's whoever the convention or the church decided, and as long as they weren't approved. Yeah. Now, here's the criteria for that. Okay. If the third party believes that the preponderance of the evidence makes it more than likely than not that you did it, then you are considered credibly accused. That's not the way. <laughs> see, see, you were going to be with me right up until that point. I yeah, knew that. That's not the way you should work. So a preponderance of the evidence says that it is more likely than not that you're guilty. You go on the list. That's a terrible standard. And people have been up, rightly up in arms about that one. So the, the task force announced last week that they're, they're going to launch the database, but they're not going to include that fourth category on the database. Well, that's good. I agree. The other three categories should go on the database. Of course, there shouldn't be a database. Do your background checks, people. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to have a database, those first three categories, I can't really... I could probably argue with them a little bit, but it, it would be pointless. 
That's what I was thinking. I mean, it seems like it's kind of redundant if you do a background check because... I would agree. Do your background checks. Yeah. And now, now the advantage of this would be is if you're a smaller church... Like, if you say you're a smaller church than us and you don't have money to do background checks, this would be a free resource. You could log into the website, throw somebody's name in there. Right, like if he was in another state, got in trouble, yeah. decided to ship himself over here and... And pick up where he left off, just at yeah. another small church. Yeah. So this database would be something that would give you a protection. Now, part of the problem with that, though, is now, say you hire the guy, but he slipped through the cracks and didn't make the database. Whose fault is that? Yeah. Because as a church, you can say, what? Look, look, we went to the don- denominational website, and he wasn't on it. Right, who's, who's, who's now, liable who's, for that? Yeah. That's, a, that's been one of the sticky questions, and there's not really been a, a really good answer to that. Because you know... Uh, a parent or a loved one yeah would would totally just take that to the nth degree absolutely looking for somebody to be you know responsible so so there's going to be more discussion on that they're going to make presentations yeah, i don't know about that it's iffy and my complaint is always okay so you're going to take this liability on we send you money for missions work what happens when you get sued and the money we're sending you for missions is no longer going to missions but it is now going to lawsuits settle lawsuits because you have taken a job upon yourself that's not yours and by the way when i say a job that is not yours uh quick lesson on the southern baptist convention it is that is a convention it is not a denomination the convention itself has no right to say what you can and cannot do as a church they can say you're not allowed to be a part of the convention anymore because we disagree with what you're doing and we'll get to that in a minute yeah but they can't say we don't like the guy you hired so you're out that's not how that works. You have to have a valid reason to say you're out. There has to be something, some sort of theological or doctrinal disagreement in order to say you're not a part of this any longer. And at the end of the day, not being a part of the convention, all that means is you don't get to vote on stuff and we don't cash your checks anymore. <laughs> of course, I think they probably still would cash your checks if you keep sending them, but they won't let you see messages. Yeah, I don't know that they would send them back, yeah. Yeah, they probably would, but you're not allowed to vote on anything. You don't get a say. You're out. Mm-hmm. You are no longer a church in good standing. So that's pretty much it. Now... With that said, I'm trying to find the other the other article that I have here because I have too many things open at one time, and that's never productive for me. Here it is. Okay. The um. Oh, what do you mean I don't have internet? Yes, I, I do. I just lost it myself, Uh-oh. so something happened to the router. Yeah, it did. The router must have. We must have had a little little catch there. Yeah, the, the web <laughs> or the weather is probably. Yeah, that's that's not good. So, all right, there you go. Um, well, that's aggravating because I hadn't clicked. Okay, I, st- I think I still have access to them. With that, so when we talk about not being in friendly status or in friendly cooperation, things like that, that was the other issue that has come along. The Baptist Faith and Message from the year 2000 is the most recent Baptist Faith and Message, and the convention will tell you the Baptist Faith and Message only exists in its most recent form. So... That's interesting because a couple of the articles that I read, they were talking about they are still adhering to older, much Ch- older. Churches are. Yeah. So the, um, hang on. I want to say the original is 1925. Mm-hmm. And then there's an update from 1963. And then they updated it again in 2000. So it's not like they go over this thing very often. Right. Now, as a church, you can adopt any statement of faith that you would like. And a lot of churches put in their official documents that they uphold the Baptist faith and message from 1963. So the problem with that is, 
and I've said this because I did too, you were in that, we went through that in Sunday school a few years ago where we went through the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 yeah. and kind of walked through that it's not a sufficient um, statement of faith. That's one of the reasons that kept me coming back because I really liked, because <laughs> I didn't know much about Southern Baptists when I first came here and you were going yeah. through that. It was like, Fantastic. It, it makes sense because but my complaint was it's not a statement of faith it is a statement of cooperation right to to put it in blunter terms it is a mere christianity document huh. and people and look i've read c.s lewis's mere yeah. christianity there's <laughs> nothing wrong with mere christianity for what it is but c.s lewis is basically telling you in that book that what is he writing he's writing the bare minimum to be christian He's not writing a robust statement of faith. He's right. writing the bare minimum. These are the basics that Christians should agree on. Yep. The convention adopts that approach for its cooperation. So the Baptist faith and message, excuse me, is written in such a way that if you're a if you're a Calvinist or you're an Arminian, you can affirm the message. You can affirm the document the way that it's written. It's written just fuzzy enough to make you go, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like if you're a if you're an elder led congregational model church, you could read that and go, yeah, I don't have any problem with that. If you're a purely like almost Quakerish congregational church, you would read it and go, yeah, I'm good with that. I don't have any problems with that. It, I would argue that it doesn't even do a great job of defining things like the doctrine of God or the doctrine of the Trinity or things like that. It's very it's very slippery in that manner, and that's intentional. It's not supposed to be robust. Now with that. Some ad additions to the church uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention's constitution have been made in order to refine the Baptist faith and message to determine what it means to be in cooperation or to have the way they phrase it like faith and practice. Right. So if you're a church that affirms homosexual behavior or you uh, appoint homosexual to the clergy or things like that, that's part of the constitution. You're out. <laughs> the Baptist faith and message has been very clear about that. If you uh, turn a blind eye to abusers in your church, that's been added to the Constitution, you're out. The Baptist faith and message is clear on that. You don't tolerate abuse and things like that. So, so you can't hire a sexual predator as your pastor. You're going to get booted out of the convention for that. There's an amendment coming in this year to add another category to that little bylaw in the convention documents. Okay. And that is to churches that employ or utilize women as pastors. that's become a big deal because that's becoming a bigger deal in Baptist life. So if you go through your history of denominations, you know this one. Mm -hmm. You go back to, what, the 80s probably? 80s, early 90s? The Episcopal Church in the United States right. started ordaining women, mm -hmm. and that begins the leftward lurch of that of that denomination. Right. Um, what, late 70s you started seeing it in the Presbyterian Church? <clears throat> kind of came to a head in the 80s and 90s and the Presbyterian Church had the split between the PCA and the PCUSA. Right. There was a lot more to it too, though. Well, there was, but yeah. that's but that's always the they, starting issue. They were open issue. and affirming as well. Well, that was the thing that really, really split them. But that's yeah. that was the point. The uh, The Methodist Church started along the line the same, in the 90s the same way. Well, the reason, I'm uh, same thing with the... Uh, with the Elka churches, the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Okay, yeah, I wasn't familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. The reason why this becomes important is Episcopal Church... PCUSA, uh, ELCA, United Methodist. We just did a couple articles on this a few weeks ago. The United Methodists are having what argument right now? Whether or not they're going to ordain or not homosexuality. Church of England is having the same argument. The Episcopal Church has been down that road for a couple of decades now. The PCUSA started about, what, 15, 20 years ago with what? Ordaining homosexuals to the, to the clergy. <clears throat> Why do I bring that up? 
the reason why there is a prohibition on women in the pastorate is has nothing to do with women, has nothing to do with the patriarchy, and it has nothing to do with the cultural zeitgeist of, of the world. It has everything to do with Paul's prohibition in 1 Timothy and Titus. Right. With some corollaries in what, 1 Corinthians 14 and Ephesians, what, Ephesians 5? Oh, is it 5? Yeah, read read 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, it'll do you good yeah. case. Yeah. So, the reason I point that out is the understanding of what it means to be a part of the official work of the church is not defined by the world, is not defined by our feelings or our thoughts, it's defined by Scripture. Right. So when you change your understanding of Scripture to ordain women, you have sown the seed that will make it impossible for you to continually to interpret Romans 1, uh, Matthew 19, Genesis 2, uh, Leviticus. I can't remember where it is in Leviticus. Read Leviticus. It'll do you good. Um, the, the, the feigned known as clobber passages, 1 Corinthians 6. It, it no longer enables you to interpret those faithfully because if you changed your hermeneutics to, to allow women into the pastorate, then you're going to end up changing your hermeneutics to understand sexual morality. Um, redefine marriage. Redefine redefinitions of marriage, redefinitions yeah. of the church's work in the world, all of these things. So all of that leftward politically sprinting that you see begins with, well, why can't women exercise their gifts of ministry in the church? You you bigoted, patriarchal, you know, ninny head. Yeah. What's, what's, what's that? Uh, cotton-headed ninny muggins? <laughs> cotton-headed ninny muggins. From Elf. Elf. Okay. Yeah. You know, oh, if you've never seen Elf, you got to watch Elf. It's hysterical. I've only seen parts of it. But... Will Ferrell can get old quickly. All the parts in that movie when it could start becoming too much Will Ferrell-y, uh -huh. he stops. It's the best of Will Ferrell. Oh. Nice. It's like all of his good stuff without any of the really, really annoying parts. Okay. You're like, you know how he, like, he'll beat a joke into the ground too much? Oh, yeah. He doesn't do that as much in Elf. Elf is actually really good. Watch it at Christmas time. You will, you will enjoy yourself and feel it in the holiday cheer. Okay. You're like, where's my eggnog? I feel good now. It's, oh. it's, it's a decent movie. Okay. But yeah, that's one of the elf insults, the cotton-headed ninny muggins. Okay. <laughs> Which, trying, trying to figure out that reference, and I, yeah, uh, sorry. I just have never watched it. There yeah. you go. So with that, there's an amendment being proposed to add the employee of women as pastors to the automatically out. So there was also then reporting to the Credentials Committee. The Credentials Committee is ever, is the group of people, because again, we're Baptist, so we form a committee for everything. So it's the group of people that checks your qualifications. So I have to fill out a form. I've talked about the ACP, tell them how many members we have, how much money we took in, how much money we gave to missions, all that good stuff. And that entitles us to have messengers to vote on our behalf at the convention. The Credentials Committee is the ones who evaluate that. So they, when I submit the form saying that I want to be a registered messenger and I tell them why that, why I'm qualified to do that, which is a little form for that online that I fill out, mm -hmm. they take that and cross-reference it with the ACP. As long as what I told them there lines up with the ACP, nobody asks any more questions and we're done. If, however, someone complains and says, no, 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 Michael's lying about his form, you need to investigate it. The credentials committee then can take a minute, pull my information aside, and make some phone calls, do some checks, and find out whether or not the accusation is legitimate or not. If they find out the accusation is legitimate, they will deny my credentials as a messenger and I don't get to vote. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So if I call them up and go, hey, um, Third Baptist Church of, you know, Ninny Muggins down the street, they've ordained a woman as pastor. That is outside of the bounds of our doctrinal mere Christianity statement. You shouldn't seat them as messengers. The Credentials Committee can go look at the website and be like, oh, look, it says right here they have a woman as pastor. So they're out. 
and they can then disfellowship them. Make sense? Yes. Okay. I tell you that story so I can then tell you this story. The Credentials Committee has disfellowshipped Saddleback Church. Now, I wish they had disfellowshipped Saddleback Church 30 years ago because of Rick Warren's seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven nonsense. Yeah. If you love the purpose-driven church, I'm sorry. Read better. <laughs> we had him come. Well, I was at First Assembly. This is back when I was a very young man. And he actually came to the church and taught it. Oh, in, in person. Ooh, you you had the uh, you had the seeker sensitive who uh, uh, grand poobah at your church, aren't you? I special? must have. <laughs> and they were handing out those Bibles and so, stuff like that. Oh, well, my. turns out that like the weekend before the convention, uh, was it last year or two years ago? I don't even remember. My time runs together. They they posted this video of them ordaining three women to ministry in the church, making them pastors in the church. Well, that's kind of obvious. Mm -hmm. So someone complained. Foiled a formal complaint. The Credentials Committee looked at it and said, yeah, you're right. Plus, Rick Warren retired, and they hired as pastor and co-pastor this husband and wife team. Okay. Well, now you're basically just saying, we don't care about your doctrinal statement. Right. It's obvious, so. Well, why, you know, when when you feel that way about something... Just leave. Just leave. Just leave. Why, why do you have to be asked or shown the door? For the same reason the PCUSA didn't leave the PCA, they made the PCA leave so they could keep all the buildings and keep all the money and have all the authority. Uh, yeah. yeah. Believe money. me, it, it, the, this whole argument led to Rick Warren getting a chance. It was last year because I was watching it online. They let Rick Warren have the microphone and speak. I remember. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I remember. Basically, it was a big hubbub. Well, it was because it was ridiculous because basically Rick Warren, like, I've trained more missionaries than all of the Southern Baptist churches combined. And I was just like, okay. Somebody made a good joke about it. Like, Rick, uh, how did they put it? The, 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 the convention has trained its thousands, but Rick Warren has trained its ten thousands. His ten thousands. <laughs> oh, kind of a parody yeah. of what David and, and I was just and, like, okay, that's funny and I will allow it. So anyway, they've yeah. been kicked out. Well, Rick Warren wrote an article explaining why they're challenging that decision. So one of the things I'm going to get to vote on is they're going to bring it up. Look, the Credentials Committee has said you're out. Do you affirm the Credentials Committee or reject the Credentials Committee? Make sense? And what recourse do you have? I mean, Well, when... you challenge at the convention. Okay. So you appeal to the messengers because we're the final authority. The people hmm. assembled in the room who vote are the final authority. Oh, he's in trouble then. Well, I wouldn't go that far. He wrote this blog post, though, explaining why he's challenging it. Right. And see, this is fascinating to me because I think this explains why this is a big deal. And I told you there'd be some theology, so this is where it comes in. Okay. We're challenging the ruling on behalf of millions of SBC women whose God-given spiritual gifts and leadership skills are being wasted instead of empowered for the Great Commission. We cannot finish the task Jesus gave us with 50% of the church forced to sit on the bench. Great Commission Baptist, that's another name for the Southern Baptist Convention. You don't have to use Southern Baptist Convention. You can legally use Great Commission Baptist in your oh, letterhead, basically. Yeah, cool. Great Commission Baptists believe that Jesus authorized every woman to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach, just as he authorized every man. That's, that's a subtle little twisting. Do you see the conflation that he's doing? Of course. Now, when I say women can't be pastors, did I say women can't teach? Did I say women can't disciple? Did I say women can't exercise spiritual gifts? No. No, I didn't think I said that either. Mm -mm. But I always check because... I do know I stutter on occasion, and I and, and I. Well, the voices in my head didn't say anything. Well, I, so th that's that's that, always helpful. Yeah. So that 
Hey, always remember the rules of light. Four out of five voices in my head say go back to sleep. Go back to sleep? Yes. Nice. So he's conflating pastoral ministry with ministry. That's rhetoric. Now, let's be honest. The vast majority of church ministry is done outside of pastoral ministry. I'll be honest. the, the, The bulk of my ministry is Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Bible study, and like this. Right. And that takes up a chunk of my time. Now, there's administrative stuff, and there's counseling stuff, and there's face-to-face visits and stuff like that. That's But but the, the most important aspects of my ministry are the teaching aspects in large church settings. If that's all the ministry that our church ever does, we're doomed. The vast majority of ministry occurs in homes, in living rooms, amongst husbands and wives, amongst children, and... That I'm preparing people for yeah. the actual work of the ministry. Right. We're equipping. Yes. Yeah. So to conflate the ministry and work of the church only with the pastoral ministry really says more about Rick Warren and how he views things than it does he wants anything to put, else. He wants to put people in places of authority. Yes, that don't belong there. Right. Not because I'm a big old cotton-headed ninny-muggins yeah. or because I'm some evil patriarchal jerk, but because the Bible says no. Mm-hmm. The Bible says no. Plain and simple. Number two, we're challenging the ruling on behalf of over 300 concerned pastors who have female pastors serving on their staff and have written to me. They are fearful and worried that their, con- that their congregations will also be disfellowshipped when the new Inquisition discovers them. Oh I've my. seen one list with over 1,200 names of Baptist women in just Texas churches. The, the Inquisition. Language. Yes, the language. And now I'm contractually obligated to go, The Inquisition, what a show. The Inquisition, here we go. We know you're wishing that we'd go away. Oh, my. But the Inquisition's here, and it's here to stay. Where's that from? History of the World, Part 1, Mel Brooks. Okay. Mel Brooks. He, he plays Torquemada, the great Spanish Inquisitor. Of course, I say great. I think I've seen that, but yeah. it's so many moons ago. Oh, yeah, it's been a while. I like The that Inquisition. Now, there's 300 concerned pastors. They should be concerned. They're outside of the governing documents, the mere Christianity statement of the Southern Baptist Convention. Why are you Southern Baptist? Right. Go find another Just convention start, or start whatever. Start your own thing. Start your own. Yeah. Start your own thing. So, but yeah, you, you notice the rhetoric right away. Yeah. So you, I just wanted this. I'm not special and important in life. I get that, and I'm okay with it. But like, just once, if we're going to have an actual Inquisition, can I be a Grand Inquisitor for like a little while? Like, can I have Northern Illinois? Okay. Like the, the excommunication shall continue until the morale improves. You get to wear the funny hats. Oh, know? I want a funny hat. Yeah. I want a funny hat. Do I? And I want one of those little wax seal things, like where you melt the wax from the candle and then put the seal on the letter. Yes. I want one of those with like a, a little crozier. signet ring, you know. And I want the funny hat, and I want to be Grand Inquisitor, and I want a stick. Yeah, the crow. What is it? That a crow? Is that what that is? That what that's called? I think so. I don't know. I just it's the stick and the ring and the funny hat. That's I want that. I want to be Grand Inquisitor of Northern Illinois. Oh man, I okay. could see. I could. See You'll sign that. the petition, right? I'll sign it. I'll okay. be the first one. And our motto: the the excommunication shall continue until morale improves. <laughs> <laughs> you see the seriousness with which I take my job. Number three, we're challenging the ruling on behalf of our IMB missionaries. This is another emotional appeal. Today, our missionary force has almost 1,500 fewer missionaries than we had 23 years ago when we revised the Baptist faith and message. With a renewed emphasis on the restriction of women, we'll lose more godly female church planners and couples serving as pastoral teams on the mission field. The IMB actually had to put out a statement saying that's a complete lie. We do have 1,500 fewer uh, missionaries than we did 23 years ago, 
but that's because um, they were selling property and digging into financial reserves in order to continue to fund the number of missionaries we had. It became so expensive. It's like over the years, the International Mission Board has bought properties. Because the International Mission Board. So it had Mission, nothing to do with the gender. Yeah, no, no, or, nothing. Yeah. The International Mission Board has been a thing since like the 19th century. Mm. At the very latest, like the early 1900s, the International Mission Board has been a thing. It used to be the Foreign Mission Board. Okay. So, like back in the, the 1920s, they bought property where they had missionaries in Africa and Asia and things like that. Now, can you imagine if you bought property in the 1920s? And you still owned it in the 1990s. What the return on that investment is? Yeah. The International Mission Board did, and they were like, we pay our missionaries enough, and they have benefits that they have their own housing. We don't need to keep these properties anymore. And we're losing money because we can't afford to keep all of these missionaries because we've sent so many people out that we can no longer cover the umbrella of people that we have. So right. what we should do is we'll sell this property, make a ton of money on the investment, and use that money to fund missionaries. It's a good short-term strategy, but the problem is eventually what happens. You run, out of, you run out of money. And they were running out of money, and they did that, and so they had to hire new people, and new people came and said, we can't keep doing this. So they had to retire a bunch of missionaries because they couldn't pay for them anymore. Right. That's why we have 1,500 fewer. Right, and, and that makes makes dollars yeah. and cents. Had nothing to do with where we said women can't be missionaries or can't do this or anything like that. It, just, it was a financial decision. So this yeah. is just a complete lie. Yeah. <laughs> Number four. We believe a decision this critical to the SBC's identity and future should be decided by the messengers, not a committee. The messengers must decide if they want the executive committee to act like a Catholic magisterium. Oh, so they want to change the rules? Now, the rules haven't been changed. Yeah. The, the, the credentials committee has done exactly what they're supposed to do. But, however, I do agree with them on this one. Bring okay. it to a vote. Credentials committee should make a recommendation, and we should vote on it. That's congregational polity. That's how we function. That's how this church functions. Okay. Church council makes a recommendation. I bring it to the church and business meeting. What do we do? Yeah, if they shut them down, are they going to go away yeah. quiet? Or, or are they going to... You would hope, but at that point, the messengers have spoken. The other reason I want this to a vote... Look, how many times you said, I'm a daylight guy. I want everything brought into the light. Having the messengers vote on it will tell you where the convention stands on this issue. And seeing where the convention stands on this issue is vital to me. Because that's a good, that's a good while, point. while you can send anybody from your church as a messenger, you know who gets sent as a messenger for the vast majority of the church. Like, do you think most churches are sending that businessman in his church, in their church? Probably not. No. Most of the messengers in the room are what? Pastors. Mm -hmm. They're the functional leadership of their church. So I'm curious. As of right now, there's over 10,000 registered uh, messengers showing up to the convention. The number will be higher. But usually the number goes up by 10 or 12 per, 10 or 15% by the time the convention. So don't be surprised if there's eleven to 15,000 people in the room. I would venture to guess that 90% of them will be pastors. And they'll probably... And I'll be... That's why I'm going to be fascinated to see how they're going to vote. Oh, wow. Because... Because that'll these, give you a good feeling. These are the committed people of the convention, right? Yeah. You spent time and money to go down there and vote. You went down there knowing this issue was coming, so you went down there to vote for a reason. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, I'm going to vote to keep Rick Warren kicked out. <laughs> if that had been painfully obvious by now, mm -hmm. just, just in case. But... I'm going to be fascinated to see this because this will tell you where the convention is theologically. Yeah, how they concerned. understand their scripture. Whether it's more important that we hold to mere Christianity or whether it's more important that we hold to biblical fidelity. I'm going to be fascinated by that. I might be annoyed by it, but I want to know. I'm a sunshine guy. When in doubt, tell me what's going on. Open the curtains, let the light in, and let's see what's going on. And fifth, our goal is to spark the thinking of messengers regarding the direction of the SBC regardless of the outcome of the vote. See, I, it's, 
This is what I want to see. If you really love something, you fight for it. But sometimes it takes years for people to consider an event before change happens. Wilberforce lost every vote for 17 years before the slave trade was eventually abolished. Mm. It took 10 years after the lynching of Emmett Till in 1955 for the civil rights movement of the 60s to coalesce. Note my prediction. The next generation of Southern Baptists will remove the restriction on women one day because truth eventually triumphs over tradition. Mm. See... I believe that's where Rick Warren thinks, and I believe that's where he stands. So that's why I want to see the vote, because he thinks that exegetically he has a case for this. I do not. What, what's he basing it off of? That's what I was looking for in here. It's No, he's not going to give you that. It's uh, he, he throws 1 Corinthians 14 out completely as a, um, as a cultural issue, and then he tries to make the argument from Anna, not, um, not Ananias and Sapphira, um, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla and Phoebe. Phoebe and what is it, Junius? Junius. From, was it Romans? Was it First Timothy 3, somewhere in there? There are talks about deaconesses. and Yes. But those are not pastors. Agreed. And I wouldn't have any problem with, which always remember, the, the fun little historical note. You know why it was so vital that the early church had female deacons? You know what the deacons' primary role was? They did the baptis- baptisms. Okay. And in first and second century church, know the garb of the traditional baptism? Mm-mm. Take a wild guess. What do you think they wore to be baptized? <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know. Nothing. Oh, really? Clothing was at a premium. You can't afford to get stuff wet and get it ruined. So a lot of baptisms were done nude. In the nude. Okay. It was very vital to have females that could do the baptisms for... Females. For females. Right. Because you didn't want a dude up in the, uh, you know down in the river like that yeah that's part of it and that's not all of them and that's not terribly widespread but in a lot of parts of the uh of the early empire that was part of the reason why you had female deacons the other reason is because you needed to check in on widows and orphans and who typically had time during the day to do that and who could check on things when there's yeah, medical I don't have conditions a with deaconesses either <clears throat> no, but I, yeah it's totally a... different yeah and it's it yeah it's fascinating i i didn't yeah you, you must have really read up on that well, it's been now. That's been a. Uh, that's one of those things that stuck in my brain from yeah. like 15 years ago. I remember seeing that and going. I don't remember where I got that, but I just remember that that went in there and it's not left. So okay, it's one of those. It's one of those core memories for theology. It's amazing. So 15 years. Mm-hmm. But Rick Warren's argument is because well, because of those arguments, because of those examples, we think that First Timothy and Titus are more cultural than dogmatic. Which is not an unusual There's argument. There's only a couple places and the other, so dogmatic well, on Well, and it. the other argument comes in that I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority. Right. He interprets that with the usurping argument. So as long as the woman's not usurping a man's authority, she's not doing anything wrong. Okay. So that's part of the argument. It's the typical egalitarian mm-hmm. theological position. Now, again, when you change that interpretation, you open yourself up to... The same arguments that come in with Romans 1, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 6, Genesis 2, and Matthew 19. Because you're arguing, well, there's more cultural things going on, and there's more nuance in the definition. And the homosexual groups say the same thing. No, no, no there's more cultural things going on. He's talking about yeah, assault and rape rather than consensual relationships because those didn't exist. Children, those existed since the beginning of time. Those air quotes, loving homosexual relationships. Sure did. I mean, there's there's all sorts of historical examples of that. But anyway, so I point that out because, like I said, that's one of those things that I'm going to be fascinated to see how that turns out because it matters. 
it absolutely matters for how you see things and how you understand things and what you think they're going to turn out to be and how they're going to turn out. That's a tell, though. You're wrong. I'm right, and I'm going to fight this tooth and nail until you agree with me. So to your point, why does the PCUSA not leave? Because they want to fight and win. Mm -hmm. Why does the Methodist denomination hold on? Because they want to keep the buildings. They want to keep the money. They want to keep the influence. Yeah. They're not having an argument with you. They're a having an argument with God in history. was something that yeah. should be devoid of that. Yeah, I'm looking at the clock. I'm closing my stuff up because we're out of time, but we still have more stuff because there are other churches that are being disfellowshipped. So we can look into that. We can go through the rest of the financial stuff. That's going to be fun. Okay. You want to do that next week? Sure. So we'll go through some of the other churches. We'll revisit this to make sure we didn't leave anything, any meat on the bone. Because I did promise folks in the business meeting that I would spend some time and go over some of this stuff. So if you're listening in, I don't, I don't even know who listens to this. So right. I have no earthly idea. I don't know if you use a VPN because my little download tracker tells me we have all sorts of random downloads from all sorts of random places. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a VPN or if we actually have people there listening. Although somebody has to be listening somewhere because. Every once in a while, someone on the uh, European in, or English, because those are two separate marketplaces on Amazon, there's the there's the EU marketplace and the UK marketplace, buys one of my books. Cool. So I always get a kick out of that. Somebody this month from the UK bought one of my books. Nice. So I was so somebody's got to be listening to something somewhere. So if that's you, we appreciate you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I try not to butcher the accents when I pick on yours, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that said we'll pick up some of this next week um, we'll try to get through the rest of this but this is part and remember why does this matter a billion dollars of operating budget 10 billion dollars of church funds being distributed determining some of these things these are big deals 4 million people showing up on a Sunday morning there's a lot of people with a lot of discipleship and a lot of decisions being made it's fascinating to me it's aggravating at the same time but it, it matters so what have we learned thus far the Southern, Southern Baptist Convention has a lot of money. Yes, and, there's, <laughs> and, and people are watching. And, and, and the world is watching. And Rick Warren is <laughs> still a heretic. got to do something. And Rick Warren is still a heretic. <laughs> right? Is that, is, we're going to settle there. Yeah. All right. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we will pick that up. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.